0: Good morning, church. Reading this uh, morning will be from Colossians 3rd chapter, verses 12 and 13. This is the New American Standard Version. Can you hear me all right? Okay. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience bearing with one another, and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord gave, forgave you, so also should you. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Lord, thanks for doing our reading. Pastor Josh, Hannah, Brandon, man, so good. Thank you, That's song. Will you join me in prayer as we ask the Lord to to speak to us through his word? Our loving Lord, we're so grateful that you love us, you're merciful to us, that you indeed are compassionate, you're patient with us, you're kind to us, you're forgiving. Lord, we ask that even as that scripture that was read that commands us to do the same, that you'd help us to be more like you in those areas. And that today as we study your word, as your Holy Spirit teaches us, as your Holy Spirit fills us, may we choose to cooperate with him and become more like you. That we could reflect you and your character and the quality that you would have for us as followers of Christ. Lord, we pray for those who are away from us this morning. For those who are battling illness, we pray that you might speak to them and comfort them, teach them in their illness, and heal them, we pray. For our students who are away, we pray, Lord, that they would listen to you over the many other voices that would teach them falsehood. May they walk with you, even if others are walking the other direction. Lord, for our deployed personnel, we pray for them and for those who have families, that they'd find strength in their walk with you, be filled with the Spirit, represent you well during these times of separation, and bring family members and those we love home safely, we ask. Lord, we have missionaries from our church and our denomination that are serving locally and globally, and we pray for them, Lord, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they would spread the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Encourage them where they might be discouraged. Strengthen them where they are weak. And bless them, we pray. Lord, as we look into your word now, we ask that you would use me as your channel, but the Holy Spirit would be the teacher and lead us into all truth. You see, the powerful, beautiful wonderful name of Jesus, we ask all these things. Amen. I was born in Southern California, in Coronado to be specific, and even though I was born there, I spent my first two years of school in Newport, Rhode Island, as my dad got transferred there, first and second grade. And I finished second grade, and I was attending a private school, small private school, and then we moved again. This time back to California, to San Pedro, California, where I continued school and I entered third grade. And I remember after my first day of school in a large public California school, I came home from school and my mom asked me, honey, how was school? And I said, well, schoolwork was easy, but the playing was really hard (laughs) because I'd gone from swings on the East Coast to California, where they played fistball and kickball and dodgeball, and I'd never heard of those things, let alone played them. So when it came time to choose teams, guess who was always last in getting chosen? My fellow team members or, or class members looked at me kind of with contempt, looking down on me, and nobody wanted to choose the new kid. Well, I went through eight years of school in California, and then when I was in 11th grade, we moved again. And we moved back to Rhode Island, 11th and 12th grade in Rhode Island. And I remember my first day of gym class in 11th grade in Rhode Island. and It was that time where you had the president's physical fitness test, and you had to do all these things. So the first day of gym class, the PE coach looked at me and it's time to do some pull ups. And he looked at me and I'm a little skinny as a rail, new kid again. And he goes, Hey kid, how many pull ups do you think you can do? Kind of condescending. And I looked at him with confidence but polite and said, 15. And he laughed. And I got on the bar, bump, 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 bump. And when I hit 15, his eyes were big, and he's going, "Go for the record!" And he's kind of like holding my knee and kind of helping me break the school record. And his contempt for me turned to praise. And guess which one I liked better? I think it would be nearly impossible to find anyone in this room today that is not experienced. Contempt, either contempt that you are a recipient of or you are a dispenser of. In fact, there's probably someone in this room that experienced contempt even today already and maybe unfortunately even in this room. And although all of us know what contempt feels like, I think it would be helpful for us to broaden that feeling with some description of contempt. And if you have your outline there in your bulletin, if you want to take it out there, the first thing I want to talk about is what contempt means. Contempt toward others means you look down on them. You look down on them. And you look down on them because you view them as inferior. You view them as inferior, you look down on them, you view them as inferior, and therefore you treat them with disrespect. You treat them with disrespect. You look down on them, you think they're inferior, and you treat them with disrespect. Politics and contempt seem to go hand in hand. They seem to be made for each other. Whether it's a presidential tweet, or a commentator on CNN or Fox News, whichever you prefer or don't prefer whether it's the Speaker of the House or the Senate Majority Leader or two co-workers that are on opposite sides of the fence politically or two church members that belong to different political parties. Contempt seems to flow through the dialogue like poison flowing through our veins. It would seem that none of us can escape contempt. And that is because contempt is the expression of our greatest and most fundamental human flaw. Let me say that again. The reason we can't escape contempt is because contempt is an expression of our greatest and most fundamental human flaw. And that flaw is pride. And pride is the cause of every single sin. Pride, making ourselves better than someone else, looking down on other people. The first sin to enter the universe was pride, and it was the pride of a created creature who was created powerful and beautiful more than any other creature, but that creature was proudful and wanted to be like the Most High God. and In the process, he fell, and that is Satan. And then we have our first parents, Adam and Eve. And out of pride, they wanted to be like the most high God. And yet, ironically, although we, trying to play God, trying to be better than other people, have hearts filled with contempt, ironically, God, who is God, never has contempt for anyone. He never looks down on other people, even though they truly are inferior. God Himself never shows contempt. Today, as we continue our series on encountering Jesus, we come to an encounter that Jesus has with contempt. Not His own contempt, but the contempt of other people in His midst. We're going to jump right into the middle of the story because, well, we're always jumping into the middle of the story. We never really know where people are coming from or what they've just experienced or how they have just struggled with a great hardship. And we just jump into the middle of their story and we come up with conclusions and often we have contempt for them because we've drawn the wrong conclusions. Just like my PE teacher who jumped into the middle of my story and at first had contempt for me until he knew more of the story. Look with me at verse 27 of John chapter 4. John chapter 4, the middle of the story, verse 27. And at this point, Jesus' disciples came, jumping into the middle of the story. They had no idea what had happened previously, but they jump into the middle of the story and they draw some conclusions. And at this point, Jesus' disciples came and they marveled that He had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you, meaning Jesus, seek, or why do you, Jesus, speak with her? You would be hard-pressed to find Any culture, historically or presently, that doesn't show contempt for women. That doesn't show contempt for women and children. That doesn't show contempt for people who are ethnically different. For anyone who has a different religion. Or is of a different, lower social status. In Jesus' day, contempt for women was the norm of the day in first century Palestine. And so was contempt for people along ethnic and social and religious lines. And our text, John 4, 27, is dripping with contempt. Not from Jesus, of course. God is perfect and holy and righteous. And although He has every right to look down on us, He doesn't. He doesn't show contempt. But, The men of God, the disciples of Jesus, the bearers of the good news to the world, are victims of their culture's contempt for women, for people who are different ethnically, for people who are different in their religion. And they show up, and they see Jesus having a conversation with a Samaritan woman, and the text says they marveled. Picture that emoji on your phone, that round yellow face with the big eyes. They are shocked. They are marveled. They are wide-eyed because Jesus has just shattered their cultural norms of contempt toward this precious woman. cultural norms that we can assume the disciples themselves followed and held. Contempt towards others means you look down on them, you view them as inferior, you treat them with scorn. Now I told you that we would jump head first into the middle of the story, which we did, but now let's back up just a little bit. A little geography lesson. The nation of Israel from North to south is only about 120 miles. It's a very small country. So if you were to drive from north to south, and you could go straight through, you could do that in your car in about two hours, 120 miles. Me, I could do it in one hour if I was on my motorcycle. It was divided into three regions. The southern region, called Judea, was the area that we talked about last week where Herod, who wasn't Jewish, was chosen by the Roman Senate to be the king of the Jews in the southern area of Judea. The northern area is Galilee, and that's where most of Jesus' disciples came from, and they were considered kind of uneducated and kind of the country bumpkins, and they had an accent, and they were criticized for that. But in between the north, Galilee, and the south, Judea, was a region called Samaria, And in Samaria, the people, surprise, surprise, who lived there were called Samaritans. And when we hear the word Samaritan, we often have sort of a good feeling about Samaritans because we remember the story that Jesus told about the good Samaritan, and we should be like the good Samaritan, so we associate good and Samaritan, someone who helps. Or you might be familiar with Franklin Graham's ministry, uh, Samaritan's Purse, that helps people around the world, and they do wonderful things, so you feel good. But in Jesus' day, the Jews didn't feel good about the Samaritans. The Samaritans were despised half-breeds. They were the descendants of Jews who had been left in that area when the pagan empire of Assyria came in during the 700s and, and then conquered that area, and in 720 B.C., they started intermarrying with the Jews and created Samaritans, who were half Jewish and half Assyrian pagan, and then they got kind of a syncretistic religion that kind of changed their Judaism. And so they were despised by the pure Jews. And the Jews had such contempt for the Samaritans that no matter how thirsty they might be, they would refuse to drink from the same cup as a Samaritan. And not only that, if they were traveling from north to south or south to north, of course, you have to pass through Samaria, but they wouldn't. They would take a three-day detour around Samaria while traveling north and south. That, my friends, is contempt. But Jesus, who being God, has every right to look down on all of us. Instead, he breaks the cultural norms and he passes straight through Samaria and stops and asks a Samaritan woman to drink from her cup. Let's go back now and look at the beginning of the story in verse 3 of John 4. John 4, verse 3, Jesus left Judea, the southern part, and departed again into Galilee, the northern part, but he had to pass through the central part, which is Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. That well had been dug in about 1880 BC, and it's still producing water. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, in other words, noon. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, so they're not there. And the Samaritan woman, therefore, said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, Ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman. She understood the contempt of the day that Jesus should have for her. And there's a little commentary in parentheses, for for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, Jesus isn't done shattering the cultural norms of the contempt of that day. Not only was this person a despised Samaritan, but she's a woman on top of that. The rabbis of Jesus' day, daily, thank God that they weren't born a Gentile or a woman. That's contempt. The rabbis of that day believed that women were so simple-minded that they were incapable of understanding the Jewish Scriptures, and therefore they taught, and I quote, better that the words of the law should be burned than be delivered to women. That, folks, is contempt. And yet, Rabbi Jesus engages this Samaritan woman in a theological discussion, treating her like an equal, even though he is the Son of God. Verse 23, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. They'd been debating she'd brought up should we worship the Lord in this geographical location or this geographical location. You say this, we say that. And Jesus is not about geography. It's about your heart. It's about being filled with the Holy Spirit and believing the truth. That's true worship. It's not the location, it's your heart. But an hour is coming and now is, it's here, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be as worshippers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. She knew theology. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, am he? Wow. At this point, his disciples show up in the middle of the story. She has just met the Messiah. He has shattered all the cultural norms of contempt, and the disciples just kind of show up. Wondering, what's he doing talking to her? At this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he'd been speaking with a woman. What contempt. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? Second thing we learn from this text is that the heart of Jesus contains no Contempt. The heart of Jesus contains no contempt for anyone. For anyone. The heart of Jesus contains no contempt for anyone. How else could you and I ever be forgiven? How else could you and I ever be saved? However, how else could you and I ever be adopted into the family of God as co heirs with Jesus Christ? other than the fact that Jesus has no contempt in his heart for anyone. Now, to make this more relevant, to make it more personal, and to make it a lot more convicting, where you wrote in the word Jesus, the name Jesus, write in your name. Write in your name. So it would read, for me, the heart of Perry contains no contempt for anyone. Now, it's one thing to write that in. It's another thing to have it be true. And the only way that that's going to be true is if you are filled with the heart of Jesus. Because the heart of Jesus has no contempt for anyone. And you say, well, that would take a miracle. Well, yes, it would. It would take the miracle of the filling of the Holy Spirit to come into you and fill your heart with the Jesus heart. And God's in the miracle business to give you His heart for other people. The heart of your name contains no contempt for anyone. James chapter 5, verse 11 tells us that in Jesus' heart, there is no contempt. His heart is full of compassion. It's full of compassion. Look at the passage that was read earlier in Colossians. Chapter 3, verse 12. There's a whole list of things, and I need every single one of them desperately in my heart. Colossians 3, verse 12. And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on. Put on is a command. It means something you can do and should do. Put on a heart of compassion. Have a Jesus heart. A heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Have a Jesus heart. You see, compassion and contempt cannot occupy the same heart. Like in the children's sermon with the rocks in the glass jar. If you put in a bunch of rocks that say mean and evil, you can't put in the ones that say good and nice. We need to get rid of contempt and fill our hearts with hearts of compassion so there's no room for contempt in our hearts. Number three, the third thing we learn here is a remedy for a heart of contempt is to choose to fill your heart with compassion. Compassion. The remedy for a heart of contempt is to choose to fill your heart with compassion. Remembering that you have just stepped into the middle of someone's story. You have no idea what they've been through. So show them a little compassion. Make that your choice. And listen to their story. The remedy for a heart of contempt is to choose to fill your heart with compassion. After talking to Jesus, this precious woman felt so good about herself, felt so unashamed of her past that she used her shameful past of apparently five failed marriages and a current immoral living relationship as her point of witness to others. And she could do that because she had been released from the feeling of contempt because Jesus showed her compassion. And this woman's past testified to the fact she needed a Savior, and her conversation with Jesus revealed to her that she'd now found the Savior. Verse 28 of John 4. Verse 28 So the woman left her water pot. The whole reason she went there was to fill the water pot, and now she just leaves it. She's so excited. She left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things I have done. And she didn't feel any shame. She didn't feel any contempt. It's been removed because he had showed her compassion. And she uses her past as a point of testimony to the town. And she says, This is not the Christ, the Messiah, is it? Her past led her to the present, to the Messiah, so she could have a beautiful future. Verse 29. Come see a man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? And then verse 39. And from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in Jesus because of the word of the woman who testified. Look what she said. He told me all the things I've done. She has been released from contempt. Number four fourth thing we learn here is this, your compassion for others, your compassion for others will bring them to Jesus. Your contempt will drive them away. Your compassion for others will bring them to Jesus. Your contempt will drive them away. The best thing the disciples did when they stepped into the middle of the story, face to face with both this woman And their own contempt was, they kept their mouths shut, says in verse 27. It says, Yet no one said. They kept their mouths shut. If you're having contemptuous thoughts towards someone, keep your mouth shut. Don't say a word. It would be better if you didn't have that contempt, but if you have it, at least keep your mouth shut. Until you get to the point where you can be filled with the compassion of Christ for that person. Your compassion for others will lead them to Jesus. And that's what we should be doing. But your contempt is going to drive them away. It's part of a class project when I was a student at Dallas Theological Seminary. We had things we could choose from my cousin Chip was at the seminary too. And we decided to choose the one that said, experience being homeless for 24 hours. And so we decided we would try that. And we didn't shave for about a week, didn't wash our hair for a while, and got our raggedy jeans and got some old army coats. And we went to downtown Dallas to the seediest part. And we were told we had to spend exactly 24 hours there. And we could only take two dollars each with us. I Had to live on two dollars, and of course there are no cell phones back then. And there were cars, but no cell phones. <laughs> and we're downtown Dallas, and as soon as we get there, a real homeless guy comes up to us and says, "Hey, you got any money?" <laughs> and I'm thinking, "Really? Come on." <laughs> and I'm thinking, "How'd you know we weren't real homeless for one thing?" And no, I'm not gonna. I only got two bucks. So I'm just thinking, "What is this? Who is this guy?" And while I'm thinking all these contemptuous thoughts, my cousin Chip is going, I got two bucks. Boom. And hands the guy his two bucks. All of it. I mean, he could have kept one dollar for himself, but he gave it all. And I was a little ticked at my cousin Chip because I know now I've got to share my two bucks with my cousin Chip. I go, what was he thinking as he handled, handed this homeless man two bucks and said, God bless you? He was being compassionate. And I was being filled with contempt. Compassion isn't necessarily easy, but compassion is right. Contempt is really easy, but contempt is always wrong. Compassion leads people to Jesus, contempt drives them. Let's ask for the heart of Jesus, because we all struggle with contempt. Will you pray with me? I'd like to ask you to bow your head so you can have a private moment. Lord Jesus, we're all guilty. I'm guilty. We're all guilty of contempt. We admit it. Thank you that you died to take away that sin, to forgive us. Thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit to live in us so we can worship you in spirit and truth and we can be filled with compassion. Lord, fill us with the heart of Jesus so we can be filled with compassion. As we pray, perhaps you're here today and you haven't yet invited Jesus into your heart. You need to do that first. You need to recognize that Jesus died for your sins, that he rose from the grave, he conquered death. You need to recognize your need to be forgiven. You need to recognize that you can't save yourself. If you recognize those things and want Jesus to be your Savior, ask Him to come in and save you and just say, Lord Jesus, save me, and you will. Lord, fill us with your Spirit, we pray. Help us to be more like you. In your powerful, wonderful, beautiful name, we pray.
1: Today is the day of salvation. If you've been far off or think you're far off, he's one step away. You just say, yes, Lord. Praise the Lord. There is no other way. It's Jesus Christ. There is no other way. It's Jesus. He is the way. Oh, Holy Spirit, thank you for being here and just flowing through the room bringing glory to Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, be encouraged today. He loves you so much. If you want to pray with someone um, directly after this service, please make your way to the corner of the sanctuary um, where we're ready to pray over you, We'll pray with you. Three things as we close. A benediction. Number one, may you set your mind on things above, heavenly things. Secondly, may your speech be seasoned with grace to others. And the last thing, number three, may your heart be surrendered to Jesus and filled with the compassion of Christ for the glory of our Lord, Jesus. Amen.